Hey friends, you know what I don't miss at all? That vicious week before the period. Feeling like I'm ready to crawl out of my skin, irritated by everything and everyone around me. Bouncing between cravings for salty foods and sweets and back again. Now it's easier to manage PMS with Estro Control from Happy Mammoth. Estro Control contains science-backed herbal extracts called adaptogens. Now here's the beauty about adaptogens. They help the body adapt to any stressors, like the chaotic hormonal changes that happen naturally throughout a menstruating person's life. And the biggest benefit? Feeling like myself again. That's what people mention over and over in their reviews. And there are over 17,000 reviews for Happy Mammoth products, including Estro Control. For a limited time, you can get 15% off your entire first order at happymammoth.com. Just use the code CORP, C-O-R-P, at checkout. That's happymammoth.com and use the code C-O-R-P for 15% off today. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Access Point. The reality is this is the largest influx of black and brown talent corporate America has ever had. And as a result, a variety of talent entering the workforce are first-generation professionals. The other reality? Most of these folks aren't learning what it means to navigate a majority white workplace in their college classes. Enter The Access Point, a live weekly web show within the Living Corporate Network that gives black and brown college students the real talk they need and likely haven't heard elsewhere. Every week, our hosts and special guests are dropping gems, so don't miss out. Check out The Access Point airing every Tuesday at 7 p.m. Central Standard on livingcorporate.tv. Hey, everybody, this is See It to Be It, the Saturday podcast from Living Corporate. Living Corporate is a digital media network that centers and amplifies black and brown people at work. My name is Amy C. Wanninger, and I'm the host of See It to Be It. When I was growing up in rural southern Indiana, I didn't know people who went to college or who worked in professional roles. I didn't know what those jobs looked like or how to break into them. But this show isn't about me. It's about the guests. Every Saturday, I bring you career stories from everyday role models in jobs you may not know exist. More importantly, the folks I interview share their perspectives as black and brown professionals in jobs and environments where they may be the only. My guest today is Tiffany Waddell-Tate, a good friend of mine and business associate. I can't wait for you to meet her. But before we get to the interview, we're going to tap in with Tristan for some career advice. Hey, Living Corporate fam, this is Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting, and I've teamed up with Living Corporate to bring you all a weekly career tip. This week, we're going to talk about an underutilized gem, a career journal. Do you struggle to update your resume or LinkedIn profile? Have you thought about negotiating your salary but wasn't sure how you would make the case? Do you ever feel like you have nothing to write when you have to do your self-assessment for your performance reviews? Well, if you answered yes to any of those questions, you are not alone. In working with clients, one of the things I've realized is that it's incredibly difficult for us to remember our accomplishments we've had throughout our career. During my intake calls, quite a few of my clients struggle because they've been in their job so long that the wins start to blend in with the day-to-day. One way to combat that is to keep a career journal. Each time you have a win, you write it in there. 
When you get pulled into projects, you write those in there and what your role was. If you're measured against any metrics or receive stats based on your performance, write them in there too. This journal can be physical or virtual, whatever works for you. You just want to make sure that you're documenting wins, both big and small, projects you've worked on, departments you've worked with, any goals you've achieved, and any other thing you think is valuable. If the journal is physical, I would suggest some type of bound notebook. And if it's virtual, I would suggest keeping everything in the same file. This ensures that you are keeping the information in one place for easy reference. Think about how all that information will come in handy in situations where you need to sell yourself, whether that be your performance review, negotiating your salary, or even just updating your LinkedIn profile and resume. Having a career journal will make it that much easier to be your own biggest advocate in your career. This tip was brought to you by Tristan of Layfield Resume Consulting. Check us out on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook at Layfield Resume, or connect with me, Tristan Layfield, on LinkedIn. Living Corporate is brought to you by The Leadership Range, a podcast within the Living Corporate Network. Hosted by globally certified and Fortune 500 executive coach and leadership development expert Neil Edwards, The Leadership Range is focused on having real, raw, soulful, and accountable conversations about inclusive leadership, allyship, professional development. Every week is a new episode with new learning and new actions to take on to grow inclusively. Make sure you check out The Leadership Range everywhere you listen to podcasts. Tiffany Waddell Tate is my guest today. She's the CEO and founder of Career Maven Consulting, where she helps individuals and companies reimagine the future of work through coaching, digital education, and training and development for organizations and teams. As an in demand coach, consultant, speaker, and thought leader, Tiffany has been featured on Well and Good, The Every Mom, The Muse, and a variety of podcasts, now including this one. She's a master in coaching professionals to learn, lead, and grow at work while being true to their authentic selves and building their personal brand. Tiffany earned her BA and MA from Wake Forest University and is a Gallup certified strengths coach, diversity educator, and is MBTI certified. Welcome to the show, Tiffany. I'm so glad to have you. Thanks, Amy. I'm happy to be here. So you and I, I always love to share like how I met people and we met on Twitter ages ago, which is how I meet almost everybody anymore. And then we ended up at the same conference at the same time Yeah, and had dinner together and became kind of best friends. We did. We did. At least in my head, we're best friends. (laughs) I will co-sign that. Yes. Perfect. So it's always so much fun to meet people in person that you know online and find out, oh, this is a real person who is exactly like they, like I expect them to be. And I love that you're helping people with personal branding because clearly you're very good at that because I was exactly prepared to meet you just based on your online persona. So can you just talk a little bit about how you got into this work of coaching and helping people build their personal brands? Absolutely. And thank you, Amy. I love when people say that I am exactly how they expected me to be, because that's my hope, (laughs) you know, to be uh, the same person online as I am off and there to be consistency and transparency there. Um, how I got into it. So on the career branding front, I launched my career uh, about 10 years ago in higher education, working in student affairs, academic advising, and career development. So I spent the better part of the last decade working in liberal arts contexts, helping students, alums, and middle career graduates 
really hone in on what they want to do professionally and how they can add value to organizations. So I got my training the good old fashioned way and did the work for however many thousands of hours Malcolm Gladwell says you should. And I hung my shingle a couple of years ago uh, because people were asking me for things like help with resume reviews, resume writing, LinkedIn profile writing, and prepping for interviews. And since I was doing that in my day-to-day -day job, I said, sure, why not? So I picked up a few freelance projects, a few speaking engagements, and really wasn't thinking about building a business per se at the time, um, but I found that my skills definitely met a need in the market. And many people reached out to me because they felt like, oh, she, she gets it, right? Like I wasn't too far removed from the college space personally. And I also had been working with students who were going into all types of industries, you know, from top tier consulting firms to tech firms, uh, education and nonprofit. So I was seeing it all um, at work and really driving our professional development programming. And so I realized, you know, as luck would have it, that the more you spend time doing things that you're good at and that you actually love doing, it doesn't feel like work. And that's super cliche, I think in some ways, but for me, it's been true because I've always been the person in my friend and professional group that people come to and ask questions, not necessarily looking for a solution, but just looking for someone to help them make a decision. And that is what I spend most of my coaching sessions doing, pushing back on people, asking key questions and helping sort of expand mindset so that you can take action, right? Like, so I started with the career branding stuff and I still do a good bit of that because I think it's important for people to understand how to share their career story. And I also help people sort of move through building the scaffolding for a career and a life that they want. Thank you for explaining that. And I'm wondering who is your ideal client for the work that you're doing right now? Is it the, the recent college grads? Is it the mid-career folks? Is it, you know, in a particular industry, what's your sweet spot? Yeah, I would say that my ideal client uh, for Career Maven would be an early to mid-career professional, uh, likely woman identified, uh, Career Maven sort of, you know, that branding people tend to self-select. I have had clients who don't fit that profile for sure. Um, but my ideal client is a woman who's had at least one job. Uh, industry doesn't matter too much. Um, I've worked with clients across industries, but you know that person is thinking about what's next, either at their organization or moving companies or even moving industries, and is ready to take the leap to actually do something about it. You know, my ideal client is not afraid of hard work <laughs> because working with me is work. You do have to do things. Uh, and is willing to kind of put it all on the table. You know, I've worked for a number of years. I'm a working parent. I'm very involved in my community. And most of my clients share similar nodes of engagement in and around the work that they do to put food on the table. But they also tend to be very involved in their community or interested in something outside of just a paycheck. Not that paychecks are bad, but uh, my ideal client is thinking about her career pathing as a process and a journey and um, really interested in full sort of lifestyle development and integrating all of those things together because that's what work looks and feels like. And so if you come to the table with that sort of mindset, we can definitely get to work. And I think that integration is especially important right now because we're all balancing everything, right? Juggling everything all the time. Can you talk a little bit about what that looks like for you and your clients? 
Yes, all the time. Um, I do say, you know, for many of my clients who have been pushed to the online space and they were new to it or weren't used to doing it full time, uh, this work-life integration situation has gotten really real. You know, two years ago, we were talking about work-life balance and how do you create space and boundaries? And we're still talking about that. But it looks a little different when your kid rolls into your, you know, Zoom call or uh, unplugs something that you need or, you know, drops a bowl of cereal in your lap, which all of those things have happened to me. So (laughs) I think right now people are really trying to figure out how to do good work and still be engaged when their attention is really fragmented because you have to take care of home or navigating a pandemic people are tired. There is an actual physical response to being online all the time. Like it's not an ideal work situation in many ways. And I think a lot of my clients are just trying to figure out how to either stay in the workforce because they're navigating caregiving responsibilities up or down, um, or they're sort of rethinking everything and trying to figure out, is what I'm doing what I want to be doing? What might I do next? how can I reconcile sort of my career interests with everything that I'm navigating at home, right? And that's a really tough thing for a lot of my clients. And as we know, many women in particular are being forced out of the workplace because if you have to decide between taking care of your family and working, not a lot of people have the choice or the luxury of choice to pick what feels the best. You have to make a decision out of necessity. And so I think, you know, over the next few years, we're gonna see a lot of people trying to make their way back to organizations or companies that haven't quite figured out how to help women in their ranks do good work, but also balance what's happening outside of work. Yeah. I was reading a study about um, all the jobs lost in the current economy and almost all of them were women's jobs and almost all of them were women of color. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it seems like based on the, on the data that I've read, Men seem to be doing okay right now in terms of employment. White yeah. women seem to be doing pretty well right now in terms of employment. Mm-hmm. Um, and it, it was surprising to me, the job loss numbers were so heavily skewed toward um, black and brown women because so many black and brown women disproportionately work in healthcare where there is so much need right now. But I'm wondering like, you know, how do we think about the workplace differently? How do we, how do we prepare better workplaces to be more inclusive so that we don't see so many black and brown women just opting out or, or frankly being shown the door right now? Yeah. Yeah. Amy, that's a really good question. You know, I, I would offer anecdotally that one of the precipitating factors of what we're seeing in that data is that black and brown professionals, black and brown women Um, who tend to outrank every other demographic in terms of securing um, higher education and elevated or advanced degrees, do not have the sort of wealth capacity uh, to hire help, right? I mean, that is a big part of it. It's it's really not about ability or skill, but do you have a, a robust support network outside of your family, right? Like family and, you know, there is a cultural nuance there in terms of Uh, sort of family trends and what community in a village looks like for black and brown people. Um, But largely when you get down to brass tacks, uh, the average sort of working or middle-class black 
or brown family doesn't have fluid income to hire a nanny or a part-time nanny or domestic help. And so these women are being forced to choose between literally standing at home and putting, you know, little fires out all the time or continuing to excel in their careers. So the talent drain that we saw at the drop-off point of middle management before has started earlier in sort of the first, second job rung on the ladder. Um, and it's a huge, just abyss now. It's not just a drop-off. It's just a, just a hole in the ground where everyone's falling in. And I think for companies to help solve for this, policies have to change. Um, Stopgap resources like stipends to offset the cost of childcare uh, needs to be something woven into benefits packages, you know, like the old school tuition concession. That's nice <laughs> to have a tuition concession benefit. It's great if that can extend to early childcare support, for example, um, because that would be more inclusive. That would be responding to what more people need in this moment um, and, you know, will progressively continue to need to retain a talented workforce. And I think companies thinking about um, being more inclusive and creating spaces of belonging are also actually looking to their people to give them feedback and not just creating plans with no input from the people that are actually driving your organizations, right? I think it's critical to have decision makers at the table that look and live the experience that you're trying to solve for. And we know that that's another huge gap in organizations. So those are two things that come to mind. There are many more things that. I could say, but those two, I think are top of mind. No, it's very helpful. And, you know, and I hope that, um, that employers are listening to their people right now and saying like, we can't, we've got to stop this, you know, stop the bleeding on talent loss, because to your point, we're losing out of the economy, some of the most educated, some of the most qualified, some of the, the people with the most resilience and grit, right? That, that we have. Mm -hmm. And when we lose that, we lose a lot. Mm -hmm. I want to pick up on something you mentioned earlier about working with a coach, because you said people have to do the work. And this is something that I've been thinking a lot about lately um, as I build out my own coaching practice in, in my firm. For example, I could hire a personal trainer, right? And the personal trainer could, if it weren't for COVID, come to my house, you know, every day, if that's what I was willing to pay for. And tell me exactly what to do, exactly what to eat, exactly how to use my treadmill that is collecting dust in my basement, right? But if I don't do the work, nothing changes for me except I'm out the money of a trainer. Mm -hmm. And I think career coaching, um, professional coaching is much the same way. Can you speak a little bit to that and what the work is involved and why people need to be ready for a coach? Absolutely. Oh my gosh. I always tell people, I remember in the college space, I said this a lot. It still stands at the level of um, engagement and clientele I work with now, but career coaches are not handing out like those little paydays on a silver platter. You know, those old school candy bars. We don't do that. <laughs> you don't have a one and done conversation. And then you just have uh, everyone beating down your door, trying to hire you, right? The actual work is showing up and shifting your mindset. So a lot of the work that I do with clients starts there. We don't actually start with things like a resume. I think people who haven't worked with a, a coach or someone in the career space, you know, may believe the stereotype that all we do is like fix resumes and it's magical. And the resume is the key to the world. The resume is just a tool, right? It's just one of many tools that you can use. Um, but it's not 
the sum total of you being able to move through professional spaces with agency, confidence, clarity, even right to make decisions about what you want to do and where you want to do that work. So working with a coach means that you're showing up just like you would with a personal trainer to work on some mindset barriers that you have that are preventing you from either taking action at all or taking the right action to head in the right direction. Um, coaches also help you uh, identify sort of the clarity of what actually matters to you. Like, what are your values? I think people really underestimate the impact of our values on the type of work or type of teams we want to join, right? We're often thinking only about pay and pay is very important. And again, don't want to minimize that. But there are other things on your career value sort that you might want to think about that you may not have been taught, right? Or um, know to even look for or think that you have uh, the ability to ask for. So a coach helps you kind of filter through all the noise, filter through all the mess, figure out what it is you want, and then help you create a strategy to action. So it's work because you have to be willing to be transparent. You have to be willing to, you know, get your feelings bruised a little bit. And you have to not step in with a really specific expectation of what the outcome is going to be, because it is a process just like, I mean, personal training is a great example. Your ultimate goal may be, you know, to, to develop more upper body strength or lose weight, but from point A to point B, there's a wide set of experiences that has to happen for you to hit that goal and also cultivate the resilience to continue doing it when the trainer's gone. Yeah, I think that's so important for people to understand because if all you do is show up for your coaching session every other week or you know every month or whatever, right? And you don't do the work in between, you're going to end up having the same conversation a lot, right? You're going to get frustrated because what's this person doing for me? And and that's the wrong mindset. Mm-hmm. It's what's this person empowering me to do for myself. Mm-hmm. And and I think that there's a lot of um, a lot of misunderstanding in that space. So thank you for clearing that up. Absolutely. So let me ask you, where do you go for community, especially right now, Tiffany, when we're all stuck at home and everything sucks, <laughs> like, <laughs> right? Like, I mean, everything sucks. Yeah. Where, do you, where do you go to get recharged and where do you go for support? Thank you for asking that. I think more people should ask that question and genuinely mean it like you do. It depends on the day, but I do have, you know, I'm still, I'm not, um, I haven't unplugged from my best friend group chat. You know, I think every woman probably has a best friend group chat that you just pop into, share, you know, encouragement and pop off. I also, you know, we met on Twitter and I have built quite the community on Twitter and a little bit on Instagram now. I'm starting to dip my toe over there a little bit more, but I've actually created um, digital community on social media platforms. And that's been very helpful to me, not just in the business, but also, you know, to find people that are sharing thought leadership or just keeping it real, quite frankly, (laughs) online. And that's very refreshing, um, especially in this season. Um, Right now I've been participating or leading this project called the Be Well Initiative. And every Friday over lunch, there's a small group of Black women who are leading in the nonprofit space in my local community who gather and have an outside facilitator talk about one dimension of well-being. And when I created this program, I really had the population in mind, not myself in mind. But for me, it has been 
life-giving to have this 90 minutes once a week where I hop on Zoom and someone else is really helping me uh, expand my thinking around what it means to center my well-being as a Black woman and as a Black professional, you know, and so I call that a happy incident where I've built in a community I wasn't expecting in some ways, but just having those spaces online, um, believe it or not, as much screen time as we're getting has been really good for me, but then also stepping away sometimes um, to touch base with friends and family that I, um, you know, pre- COVID, when I was in heavy travel mode and working all the time, I didn't do as great of a job staying connected with my people. And one gift I've gotten this year is just getting back into that and having regular chats with people that I don't get to see every day, but I do want to hear their voice. Yeah, I think for for all of the garbage that the last 12 months has been, right, there have been some silver linings. And some of that is, I think, for people who maybe they were just so caught up in the game they were playing, they didn't stop to think if they were playing the right game. Um, which I've heard a lot of people say, like, you know, I've sort of had this realization that I'm in the wrong line of work. My work doesn't have the meaning it once did, or, you know, I hate my job and I need to do something else. Right. Like something about just like the disruption of, of that, that rat race has really caused people to do a lot of introspection they wouldn't have done before. And then for those of us running businesses, I think there's some similar, uh, some parallel, thought process is happening for me. I'll be, I'll be honest. It was last October when I realized I did 18 keynotes in a month virtually sitting in this chair. Oh my gosh. And I had a great month revenue wise. Right. And I'm not saying this to brag. I'm saying this because it popped this light bulb in my head going when travel's a thing, I can't do that. Mm -mm. And I don't want to do that. And I've got to figure out a whole different approach to running my business because this cannot be the end game for me, mm-hmm. right? 18 keynotes in a month cannot be it because I'm exhausted, right? I've maxed out on what I can earn in a month mm-hmm. and I'm not having the impact I want to have. Mm-hmm. And so I think, you know, and it sounds like you've had some of that same, some of those same conversations with yourself yes. around what is it that I really want to do? How do I want to run this thing? And how do I have the impact I want to have once I'm not glued to this chair? 100%, right? Like as a business owner, it's how can I scale? And when I say scale, I mean, how can I generate more revenue, <laughs> but keep costs relatively low and also not burn out? And much like, you know, traditional workspace, how we talk about, you know, what, what makes you successful as an individual contributor doesn't help you become a leader. The same is true in business. You know, what makes you a really awesome kick-ass freelancer does not make you a CEO. And in the past nine months or so, I, my whole mind frame has shifted from what are all the things that Tiffany can do to what are the things that Tiffany needs to do to hit the mission? Right. If the mission of Career Maven is to help one million women unlock clarity and confidence and move like the CEO in their professional lives, I can't do all the things in my business, nor should I be, because I'm not good at all that stuff. So, um, yeah, it's like, you know, from a business sustainability perspective, that's really important. And then as a parent, Amy, listen, I work a lot (laughs) and that's just that's who I am. That's part of my DNA for better or worse, I don't think I'm ever going to turn that all the way off. 
but you know, my daughter will be five next month. And, you know, I've been really lucky that she's been in preschool since August. She was home from March to July, but since August, she's largely been in preschool. So that freed up my time to do more, you know, work and stuff. But when she's home, she started saying things like, do you ever put your phone down? Do you ever take a break? And I was like, oh, heard. Let me, it's time. I got to make some changes because while I want her to see a strong woman who's working hard and, you know, contributing to my family and all that kind of stuff, like legacy is important to me. I don't want to do that at the sacrifice of my, my relationship with her. So I've had to really shut it down. It's like after school, nope. If it's not a live thing that I, you know, have to be on for, I'm not doing it until she goes to bed. Um, and that also means I've had to hack my weekends and outsource and delegate because one, I want to have a strong relationship with her and being her mom is like my number one job truly. And then two, like, I want to rest. I want to watch the Queen's Gambit on Netflix. I want to do fun stuff. You know, I don't want to have just worked and worked and worked and then have nothing to show for it or be so exhausted that all I have is money or you know, a blue check or whatever my friends say is coming. You're going to get a blue check, they say, you know. (laughs) Well, and and let's be realistic. You can't help 1 million women, right? If if your goal is to help 1 million women, you can't do that one-on-one sequentially. Nope. There are not enough hours in your life for that. (laughs) Nope. And I'm, I'm not downplaying the mission, right? I'm downplaying, I'm, I'm, I'm recognizing the significance of that mission mm-hmm. to say, wow, you know, you've got to be able to do one to many and you've got to be able to, you know, to really, you know, scale through, you know, having other people help you deliver your programming and having, you know, having programming on demand that doesn't involve your, you know, your involvement every second of the day, mm-hmm. because a million is a lot of outreach. Yeah. That's huge. And I, th- I think it, and I think it's totally doable. I mean, you know, I've seen what you're capable of. Um, I've seen it from the outside and I've seen it behind the scenes. And I think a million is, is a great start for what you're capable of. Um, It's wild. Yeah, (laughs) it is. It is. Yeah. So my daughter, um, just to kind of give you all some inside information, we had to delay the start of this recording because I was actually brushing baby doll hair for about 15 minutes trying to get the tangles out so I could put pigtails in it because that's like part of being a mom right now and um my daughter has been home this week marks 48 weeks of her being out of daycare and in my house and I'm so lucky because my husband works from home like nine out of every 10 work days and my uh, middle son who's 12 has been home from school since March 13th of 2020. So 48 weeks of being home. Uh, my 18 year old who didn't get a prom and didn't get a graduation ceremony has been home. Um, you know, we've taken this very seriously, but yeah, you're right. It's like, oh my God, you know, <laughs> like I have to do something other than work. So we've instituted game nights and we've done things like that to force mom to put down her phone because I'm like you, I could, I get a lot of satisfaction. I feel a lot of fulfillment mm-hmm. from getting the job done. Mm-hmm. And sometimes I have to create jobs for myself that involve paying attention to my family so that I'm getting that job done mm-hmm. and I can, I can kind of work that into, to my whole ethos. But yeah, I feel, I feel that on a cellular level, you say your daughter's like, well, mom, come on. Do you ever not work? 
yeah, when my daughter brought her little toy laptop in here and she's like, um, I'm going to be very busy today. I have lots of calls and meetings and, you know, and I've got to, I, I'm going to be on zoom just a minute. I need to, I need to send you my zoom link. Hold on. Right. She's talking to her imaginary coworkers and clients on her play phone under the second desk in my office. I was like, yeah, she's seeing a little too much. Oh my gosh. She's ready though. Right. Like when you talk about future executive CEO next level, like these kids are going to be it. Like they're going to be leaps and bounds ahead of where I was for sure. Right. Like I was a first generation college student had no designs on building. I mean, I graduated from college just trying to get out right, you know, right before the, that recession in 08. And whew, these kids are like, they're tech savvy. They know how to communicate, you know, through virtual spaces, you know, they're comfortable switching from one activity to the other because they're watching us do it. They have to do it. There are definitely some negatives that will come with that, I think, but they'll be ready just to jump into working like across teams and online. And I mean, it's, it's going to be incredible to see, but right now the burn. Hmm. <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> Absolutely. And you know, it's funny. I'm a first generation college student too. I mean, my mom went to college, but she did it later in life. So I was in high school when she was in college and um, not because she was six years older than me, but <laughs> because that was her life plan. And, but I didn't know people who went to college, right? I didn't have that experience of, of watching people do work that wasn't manual labor, right? Wasn't like, I mean, my, you know, the people I knew came home from work and needed a shower because they were working with machines or they were on an assembly line or working on farms all day. Right. And that was just the way of it. And I, I think you're right. I think there's something to right? It's not take our children to work so they can see us work, right? They're seeing it all the time. And I will hear them repeat things that sound like, not that I'm uber buttoned up professional, right? But I'll hear words come out of their mouth or or turns of phrase that are so diplomatic, that are so professional at five years old or 12 years old. I'm like, oh, wow. What could I have done if I had had the language to exist in this space, Oh. Right. When I even graduated from college, not when I was 12, but when I was 22. Can you imagine? I probably would have been at Deloitte or something. I tell people that all the time. I'm like, I feel like if I'd done life a little bit differently, I'd probably be one of those, you know, early analysts and working really hard or living on the hill or something, you know, like, I don't know. I mean, I don't know that to be true, but uh, yeah. I, I, I do wonder like, who are these five and six and 10 year old kids going to be in a few years? And it blows my mind every day that I get to parent one of them, you know, like she, she keeps me on my toes. She certainly keeps me focused on my mission. Um, and I love, you know, now she's at the age where I can actually talk to her about what I'm doing when she asks me like, what are you doing? And I explain it to her and she's genuinely interested, you know, like, I love that. It's, it's fun but I I can't wait to see kind of who she'll be when she grows up. That is awesome. I'm looking forward to it too. And I'm, I'm hoping that our girls get to work together someday. Like we get to work together now because that'd be so cool if we got some intergenerational uh, collaborations going. (laughs) Yes. I'm here for it. Tiffany, thank you so much for being a guest on the show today. I am so grateful to you. So grateful to have you in my network and um, you know, collaborating in our businesses and just looking forward to all the amazing things that you're going to do and all the women that you're helping, you know, invest in their careers and get where they want to be. Thank you. Thank you, Amy. So happy to be here and always have a conversation with you.
Living Corporate is brought to you by The Break Room. Have you ever felt burnt out, depressed, or otherwise exhausted by being one of the onlys at work? You know what I'm talking about. Hosted by black psychologists, psychiatrists, and PhDs, The Break Room is a live weekly web show in the Living Corporate Network that discusses mental health, wellness, and healing for black folks at work. Name another weekly show explicitly focused on mental health, wellness, and healing for black folks at work. I'll wait. This is why you got to check out The Break Room, airing every Thursday at 7 p.m. Central Standard Time on livingcorporate.tv. How awesome is Tiffany? I love talking to her. I was so excited to get to meet her in person uh, for the first time at a conference just before the pandemic hit. It was actually the last time I traveled, almost the last time I left my house, to be honest with you. What I love about this interview is just how how real and how open Tiffany is and um, you know how honest she is about her services and, and her clients and what they can expect from her. If you would like to work with Tiffany, I didn't ask her in the show. I got so caught up in our conversation, I forgot. But if you're interested in working with Tiffany, you can find her at careermavenconsulting.com. Again, that's careermavenconsulting.com. We'll put the link in the show notes for you. And if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe to Living Corporate. Share us with your friends and colleagues. And, you know, hey, you can really help us out by leaving us a six-star review wherever you get your podcasts. Now, you may be wondering, what's the sixth star? I only see five stars here. That's okay. You can give us five stars and then go the next step by leaving just a couple of sentences in your own words, telling us what it was you liked about the show. Don't forget to visit living-corporate.com to learn more about our other podcasts, videos, web shows, and more. This is Amy C. Wanninger, and I will see you next week. Living Corporate is a podcast by Living Corporate LLC. Our logo was designed by David Dawkins. Our theme music was produced by Ken Brown. Additional music production by Antoine Franklin for Musical Elevation. Post-production is handled by Jeremy Jackson. Got a topic suggestion? Email us at livingcorporatepodcast at gmail.com. You can find us online on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, and living-corporate.com. Thanks for listening. Stay tuned.